Hi there, I'm Randy Heckman. Welcome to the Grand Awakening Podcast. Folks, our desire is that we can incline the heart of our Sovereign Lord to pour out His Spirit in power, reviving His Church here in West Michigan, but also in our state and our nation, and then leading to a great spiritual awakening all for His glory. But for that to happen, it's just critical that first we listen to what God is saying to us and that we quickly and cheerfully respond to his instructions in humble obedience. Today our guest is Dr. Jim Dennison of Dallas, Texas. Well, it is certainly my privilege and pleasure to introduce uh, Dr. Jim Dennison, who is the Chief Vision Officer of Dennison Forum. Welcome, uh, Dr. Dennison. May I call you Jim? Is that Please. acceptable? Okay. Please do that, Randy. Randy. I'm glad to be on with you today. Thank you. Let me give a little more introduction if I could. Um, you write the daily article. I've been receiving that for a number of years. It's an email newsletter and podcast. And it's denisonforum.org. Um, he does interviews, articles across the internet. It reaches 2.6 million culture-changing Christians every month. And uh, I read somewhere else, it's close to 335,000 a day, which is pretty amazing. That's significant. Uh, you've authored a number of books. Uh, one in particular draws my attention called Respectfully, I Disagree. Mm. How to be a civil person in an uncivil time. Yes, I like that. Um, among other things, you hold a Doctor of Philosophy and Master of Divinity from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Also received a Doctor of Divinity from Dallas Baptist University. And uh, prior to launching Denison Forum in 2009, you pastored churches in both Texas and Georgia. You and your wife, Janet, live in Dallas, Dallas, Texas area. You have two sons, four grandkids. So again, we're so glad you're part of us here and talking with us today, Jim. Appreciate glad that Glad to be a lot. with you today, Randy. And I assume we're going to spend most of our time talking about my grandkids. Oh, duh. Come on. And I could talk. You know uh, how many that would grand- be my guess, yeah. You know how many grandkids Marsh and I have, by the way? How many is that? Just 35. Oh, well, you certainly are making <laughs> your way forward. The Bible We're going to need a lot more time. It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, really what I'd like to start talking about. So you were pastored, and obviously you started the Denison Forum in 2009. What, what led to that? What led to starting the Denison yeah. Forum? What, what was going on in your heart yeah, that's and a great life? Question. Really, it's actually my story, I think, moves into this a little bit. So very briefly, my father grew up in a small town in Kansas, fought in the Second World War, never went to church again. Okay. Saw such horrible atrocities. He couldn't sure. make his faith work with that. And so wow. I grew up in Houston, Texas, in a loving home, but no spiritual life, all my father's questions. Why is there war, science and faith, evil and suffering, all of that? Was invited to church as a teenager, came to faith in Christ, still had all these intellectual doubts and questions. C.S. Lewis is mere Christianity changed my life, as has been the case for so many people. Sure. And from then till now, my passion has been addressing intellectual and cultural issues mm-hmm. in biblical perspective. So taught at Southwestern Seminary, I've taught at four seminaries, my doctorates in philosophy, and I've always been passionate about helping people think biblically about the issues of the day. Yeah. So we were pastoring this wonderful, very large church in Dallas, and back in 09, a couple in the church came to my wife and me with the belief that we should be about a larger ministry they would help find financially. Mm. Well, we had no idea what that meant. They really didn't have any idea either. But as we prayed and worked through it, the idea of doing full time 
what really was my passion anyway of speaking to cultural intellectual issues in biblical context uh, really became clear to us what really was the call of God. So in February of 09, my best friend in the world, he and I've worked together for more than 30 years now, uh, did this with me. We launched a donor-based ministry in the height of the Great Recession because we're really smart guys, Uh, just the two of us. Had about 7,000 readers of the daily article back in those days, and God has just been so gracious to us. We actually have five brands now within the larger ministry, about 6.5 million in the total audience, about 45 staff members. It's about an $8 million organization. And the point of it all is to build a movement of culture-changing Christians to help Christians use their influence to make an impact on the culture for Jesus. And what I get to do as part of all of that is a great privilege every single day. That's awesome. You know, somehow it makes me think of my college days. I went to MIT undergrad. Mm-hmm. And if you had asked me my freshman year, this was, it would have been in the uh, mid sixties. Uh, why should I become a Christian? Mm-hmm. I would have said, well, you know, make you feel happier. Mm-hmm. And then a guy named Dr. Francis Schaefer mm-hmm. came to uh, Boston and began to speak to uh, students at Harvard, MIT, and other places there. And he said, eh, if you really want to feel you know, happier or whatever, just take drugs. Mm-hmm. But uh, he said, this is true. He used the term true truth mm-hmm. and profoundly influenced my life. And mm-hmm. uh, so we, we do need truth. There is such a thing as truth. And our, our culture today, just truth is what I feel. I mean, that's that was true back in the 60s, but it's really been accelerated. So how do you how do you oppose that, Jim? I mean, you know, you're talking ideas, you're talking concepts, you're talking ultimate real truth. Mm-hmm. How do you get through that 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 barrier that so many, especially younger people, really everybody has in America today? Well, you're exactly right. The first thing to do is understand it and understand where it comes from, I think. Mm -hmm. So we're back to Immanuel Kant and the Enlightenment, his idea that truth is how your mind interprets your senses. Well, your mind's different from mine. Your senses are different from mine. So you cannot know the thing in itself, he said. Well, you drive that forward through Nietzsche and the postmoderns, Derrida, Foucault, Mm -hmm. Rorty, and others. And now you get to the place where, according to one survey, 92% of Americans say they are their own sole determiner of moral truth. That's where we are. 92%. Wow. Amazing. 92%. And so that's in the academy, of course, but really it's across the culture. People that have never heard of Immanuel Kant would Mm -hmm. say, you have no right to force your beliefs on me. So I think there's really two responses. The first is on a rational or logical level. And that is to say, to claim there is no absolute truth is to make an absolute truth claim. That's true. It's like saying there is no such thing as truth, and I'm sure of it. You know, so it's illogical to begin with. That's is right. The first place to go. That's but if right. they don't want to hear that, if they'll say, well, even that's just your truth, if they don't really want to think in logical, non-contradictory terms, Aristotelian terms, well, then I think you turn in a more practical direction. And you ask, all right, if we take that out to its nth degree, yeah. then where is morality? That's right. I spent a lot of time, for instance, in the Muslim world, lived in the Muslim world at Mm. one point, wrote a book on radical Islam 10 years ago. And I think I understand the ideology behind 9-11. It's a very cohesive Mm -hmm. ideology, Randy, that says that the West has been attacking Islam since the Crusades and by supporting Israel. According to Surah 2, verse 190, Muslims are required to attack those who attack Islam so as Mm -hmm. to defend the Muslim world. Mm -hmm. So they would say, 9-11 wasn't an unprovoked attack on innocent Americans. It was striking back at the heart of Western crusader imperialist aggression. Well, that's their truth. Mm -hmm. 
when we take people to Israel, we always go through Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum. And part of why we do that is to go through this wing that explains Hitler and anti-Semitism. That was their truth. Mm -hmm. If at the end of the day, truth is personal, individual, and subjective, then where do we find some basis for consensual yes. common good? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, that's where the train is headed. That's the wreck we're heading toward. Yeah. And warning people about that is part of our job, I think, in these days. Okay. Well, how effective do you think? I mean, you've been doing this since 2009. You've got quite a following. I receive your material. Others do. It's more than just mental. I mean, that's part of it. But it's got to be life and heart. How effective is the American church today? Are we being effective or are we not being effective in influencing, being salt and light to our culture? Oh, that's a terrific question. Really two answers to the question, depending on, it's kind of like a merry-go-round where you get on is where you get off. Right. You know? If we're addressing, and I know you know this, but if we're discussing this in the context of what we see through the lens of public media and reported stats and all that sort of thing, the answer is really negative. Okay, Remember right. Gallup earlier this year reporting for the first time, a percentage of Americans who say they have no relationship to a church, synagogue, or mosque is below 50%, first time wow. American history. Fastest growing demographic in America are those that say they have no religion. And so if you're looking at the whole of this, if you're looking mm -hmm. at the continued, you could say, decadence of the culture, the slide into immorality, you'd have right. to say, if we're the salt and the earth and the light of the world, we're not out of the salt shaker very well. The light's not doing much in the darkness. Yeah. But there's, you know, there's real, there's real discouragement there. But there's another way to look at this as well. Okay. Okay. There's a way that you're not going to see so much through that prism. There really is, just parenthetically, a desire to advance the agenda I just said. There really is a replacement ideology out there that says that secularism is the path to authenticity and flourishing. So they want what I just said. They want to trumpet decline in church. They want to trumpet decline in religion right, right. and the effectiveness because that really advances their cause. You know, Well, if no one's going to church, why should I go to church? If no right. one believes the Bible, why should I believe the Bible? But if you get outside that prism, there is some wonderful good news to hear. Glenn Stanton, for instance, wrote a book uh, oh, a lot year or so ago. We reviewed it on our website. I did a mm -hmm. podcast with him about it, where he talked about the way the church is absolutely thriving in the culture. If by church, you mean conservative, Bible-believing, what we would think of as evangelical, evangelistic right. churches, willing to get outside of the box of Sunday morning. If you'll evaluate success in the context of Tuesday night Bible studies on college campuses, mm -hmm. well, Young Life is exploding in growth right now. Mm -hmm. Crew used to be Campus Crusade for Christ is exploding right. in an enormous number of ways. Mm -hmm. If you get over to London, I was in London a couple of years ago at Oxford yeah. doing some teaching for DBU. We had a guy come in and say, look, the church like, looks like it's dying in London unless... You see these art shops that Christians are buying and creating and doing Tuesday night Bible studies in. They're exploding. And coffee houses that are reaching people and online ministries that are absolutely exploding in growth. During the pandemic, our digital ministry saw a 40% increase. Wow. As people were looking for biblical truth in accessible ways. And so if you lump it all together, you get these decline sort of narratives. But if you mm -hmm. take out 
And I don't mean this unkindly, but if you take out more the main line or the so-called liberal or left-leaning traditions that are absolutely dying, right. no question statistically and empirically about that, take that off the table. If you think of conservative or Bible-believing, you might say, or evangelistic churches, the news is really good. So it really? kind of depends on where you see it as to what you see. Okay. So you would say, and others, I've heard the statistic that there's a, a significant number of churches closing their doors uh, daily, weekly, yearly sure. in this country. The net result is is loss of numbers of churches. There mm -hmm. are new churches there that are being formed, being planted, mm -hmm. um, and uh, again, that that's a good sign. There's there's also discipleship type. Um, mm -hmm. ministries that are right. springing up and uh, getting, you know, there's so many, I mean, I've seen those statistics as well, relatively few Bible-believing followers mm -hmm. of Christ are really sharing their faith with non-believers. At least mm -hmm. that's been the, 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 the pattern in the past. Mm -hmm. Is that changing, do you think? I mean, are Christians beginning to express their faith in a tangible way to non-Christians today? The younger you get, the worse the news and the better the news. Hmm. Barna had a survey recently, 47% of so-called Christian millennials yep. who believe that sharing the gospel with somebody else is an unfair and inappropriate thing to do. Wow. Because that's intolerant, right? Yeah, that's exactly. forcing your beliefs We're, on yep, somebody like else. They, I respect you. You respect me. We don't try right. to change each other. Yeah. Back to that postmodern relativism right. we were talking about a minute yep. ago. Yep. At the same time. Go talk to Young Life. Go talk to Campus Crusade for Christ or Crew. Go mm -hmm. look at what churches are experiencing and online uh, ministries and parachurch ministries are experiencing with young people wanting to make a tangible difference mm -hmm. so long as their evangelism is practical. Right. And you're seeing incredible good news. Okay. College students going on mission trips around the world. Mm -hmm. So long as they're not just knocking on doors, they're also doing water wells, or they're also doing irrigation farming, or they're mm -hmm. doing microloans or things such as that. If you can link doing good with doing gospel and understand they're really the same thing, yep, yep. you get a hearing with young okay. people that really is exciting. And I think biblical and holistic. Yeah, and so more no, and more people I, yeah. are starting to crack that nut. There's some real good news there. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that, Jim. That's that's exciting. I mean, again, we we see the statistics from China, from Iran, from India, from Afghanistan, where Christians are really uh, against the wall. I mean, they, they face this decision in their life. Am I going to really stand up as a follower of Christ, or am I going to cave so that I get some safety here? Mm -hmm. The churches have been really growing in those countries, probably Exploding in ways in Iran. that, that they haven't, the church has not been growing in this country. Absolutely true. Exploding in Iran on a percentage basis. When I was in Beijing a few years ago, a missionary told me there that he thought 100,000 people a day coming to Christ in the People's wow. Republic. Isn't that amazing? What's amazing? Now, most of that's in the underground church. They can't yeah. count those numbers very well, you know, and it's sure. back to what you're saying. At some point, they're making some tough decisions here. Uh, a very dear friend of mine, Tom Doyle, who's spent his life as a missionary in the Middle East, mm -hmm. says that more Muslims have come to Christ in the last 15 years than the previous 15 centuries. Isn't that amazing? Many after seeing visions and dreams of yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Now, we don't get to count those numbers very well. A lot of them are in secret sects, and they're in underground churches, that sort of thing, and understandably on some levels. So yep. those things don't appear in the numbers that we're seeing in the secular press. Yeah. But according to Tom and his books about God awakening the Middle East are staggering. I've met them personally. 
Yeah. Quick story, if I could, Randy, I was in Bangladesh for years ago and uh, I was introduced to a, a woman there, a mother and her kids. Mm-hmm. And then after I was introduced, they told me her story. Her father had died a couple of years earlier. Night after her father's death, she had a dream in which her father appeared to her, to this Muslim woman in this village in Bangladesh, showed her the face of an American in their village and said he had a message she needed to hear. Wow. So the next day she goes to that house and there's the man in her dream up talking, doing a Bible study. It's actually a friend of mine. He's a, a businessman in the Dallas area that goes to Bangladesh on mission trips. So she goes up after his presentation says, I'm here. What message do you have? Didn't know what she was talking about. He, uh, she explained the story. He shared the gospel. She came to faith in Christ. She went home and brought her children, her son, her daughter. He shared the gospel. They came to faith in Christ. Wow. And I met that family when I was in Bangladesh. Uh, Just remarkable things. What God is doing these days, he's still on his throne. Yeah. He's still on the move. We just have to, we just have to know where to look. That's something. You know, I've had, I've been thinking recently, uh, just in, in looking at, you know, how Christians are being persecuted in some of these nations, and yet the church, through God's means and, and, and God, you know, just talking to people in dreams and other means, uh, that, that the church has been growing. Then you look at what, what Jesus said in John 15. He says, look, guys, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Right. I mean, you're supposed to be in the world, not of the world. But, mm-hmm. you know, as, as American Christians, I mean, we've I would speak for myself. It's it's easy to feel lulled into saying, "Hey, I I deserve, you know, I deserve peace and comfort and stuff and people to respect me." And you know, being a Christian is, you know, going to church a couple times a month, maybe on average now, and being otherwise generally nice, but living for me. Mm-hmm. But but Jesus made it pretty clear, and and you can read in the, some of the other gospels certainly what happened to Paul and Peter and. And uh, others is just, you know, it, it's just, we're, we're in this world. We're not of this world. This is not our ultimate home. Our ultimate citizenship says Paul is, is in heaven, but we can easily get our roots down here. Do, do you think that, you know, we've had this COVID thing and we've got other pressure now, cultural pressure coming our way. Do you have, do you have any sense, Jim, thinking, that, that God is going to add pressure to us American Christians to get us more all in, just like Jesus was for us, that we would be all into him and say, Lord, if I need to die today for the sake of, of your kingdom, I don't, you know, that's, that's not my first choice, but if that's your choice for me and for your kingdom, you did it for me, I'm in. Yeah. Do you think God's going to keep adding to the pressure for us American Christians? I do. I, I see it. And in fact, I have a book coming out in January entitled The Coming Tsunami. Wow. Yes. I, I think I saw uh, the name, but tell us yeah. about it. What are you going to be yeah, saying? Absolutely, absolutely convinced of this. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, if many, any man would come after me, let yep. him deny himself, pick up his cross daily. Daily. All of me would be crucified with Christ, present our bodies a living sacrifice. More Christians died for their faith in the 20th century than the previous 19 combined. Wow. Persecution has historically been a simple fact of the Christian faith. It's go. like my old youth minister used to say, if you and the devil aren't doing this, you're probably doing this. If you're not running into him, you're probably running with him. You know? I like that. That's yeah. Say, say that know, one again. Say that one again for our audience. If you and the devil aren't running into each other, you're yeah. probably running with each other. You wow. Know? That's profound. 
That's He's a roaring awesome. lion looking for whom he may devour. And so you don't have to go look for persecution. It will come find you. Okay. But to what you're saying, Ren, you and I have lived in a very aberrant period in yes. Christian history. Yes. In a time when evangelical Christians have had a seat at the table, sometimes the head of the table, it yeah. seemed. And we were the majority position. And yeah. we were seen as kind of this arbiter of the or morality and the culture and respected and had these blue laws on Sunday. And everybody yeah. went to church or said they did anyway. Yeah. That's all changing now in our culture, just like it is in Europe, just like it is in Shane, Canada, certainly as it is in the Muslim world in China and whatever. So the tsunamis are typically caused by underwater earthquakes you don't see that create the tidal wave that you do sure in march of 2011 for instance uh uh so an earthquake 45 miles off the coast of japan caused tsunamis that killed nearly 16,000 people destroyed 120,000 homes that's how tsunamis work well i think there are four earthquakes happening right now offshore that we may not detect as well that are creating the tsunami that i think is coming mm. and that we're in the early stages of one we've already talked about which is a denial of truth Denial yes. of biblical truth. Yes. yes. With with that comes second, a denial of biblical morality. Now you're back to the 1960s and the sexual revolution leading up to abortion in 73 right. and the yes. um, legitimization of LGBTQ lifestyle and yes. Obergefell and all of that. And that's by no means done with all of that. Third, you get to, in many ways, a denial of biblical witness. And now we're talking about critical theory and critical race theory sure. and the claim that white evangelicals are oppressors by definition. Yep. And uh, all that goes into that. Yep. And then fourth, I mentioned before, a replacement ideology, a radical secularism that says authenticity is the path to flourishing. Mm. And if you disagree, your religion is dangerous. Okay. 20th anniversary, 9-11, we were told again that religion flies planes into buildings, that religion causes mm. clergy abuse scandals, mm -hmm. that religion spends money on buildings instead of people in heaven rather than earth. And it's dangerous. Richard Dawkins says religion is a virus and the software of humanity that must be expunged. Mm -hmm. uh, Christopher Hitchens, best-selling book, God is Not Great, subtitled How Religion Poisons Everything. Wow. So there really is this growing tsunami that says that we are dangerous to society, mm -hmm. that we are homophobic, bigoted, prejudiced, narrow-minded, discriminatory. My unwillingness to do a same-sex wedding would be just the same thing as if I wouldn't do a Latino wedding. I'm seen as being as discriminatory as if I were a white supremacist. Yep. Here's yep. the thought. Mm -hmm. That's where the culture is. Equality Act is just one example of that. That's right. An act that if it passed the Senate, the president said he would sign it, would say that Christians can have no recourse to religious freedom mm -hmm. with regard sexual and biblical morality. If that became law, Randy, a quick example, I do a lot of consulting on that with an, with an attorney out of Alliance Defending Freedom. He said it this way. We were talking to a board of trustees at an evangelical college uh, recently. He said, if Equality Act became law, and let's just say a transgender student on your campus, wanted transgender female, wanted to play on the women's volleyball team, and you refused based on your student handbook and your moral guides. Yep. And she appealed to a judge, and a judge issued an injunction. If you don't obey the injunction, somebody goes to jail. That's right. That's right. Well, the, the reason that exists, the Equality Act could be law, yeah. is because there's this growing bias that says Bible-believing Christians are discriminatory. Yep. yep. That we ought to have no more appeal to religious liberty than if we were members of the KKK. That's right. Trying to appeal to religious freedom to, to discriminate against African Americans. Yep. That's where we are. That's where we are in the academy. That's yep. where we are on the coast. That's where we are increasingly across our culture. Mm -hmm. You saw it in Pride Month. 
as you saw Kroger having pride-themed cereals. And I wrote an article this week about the new Superman who's bisexual. Yeah. And Robin is bisexual now. And uh, you're seeing Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. Nickelodeon children's cartoons advocating for drag queens and LGBTQ acceptance. And so if you disagree with that, you are dangerous. Yep. And that's the tsunami that we're facing in this culture today. So, you know, the, the, the result of these, this tsunami or these four things that you described uh, is it, it, it's tempting uh, as an American Christian, particularly because, you know, we deserve our peace and comfort. It's tempting for us to just say, oh, yeah, uh, it, was, it was predicted in Thessalonians and elsewhere that, you know, before the end, things are going to get worse. So let's just sit here. Let's, let's just huddle up and wait for the rapture to come and just quit trying to influence the culture around us and just try to be as safe as we can. Speak to that, Jeff. Absolutely, on two levels. Thank you for that. First of all, that's unbiblical, obviously. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. The salt's no good in a salt shaker. You're the light of the world. Light's no good under a basket. You're to go to the world and preach the gospel. Uh, That's our commission. That's clearly what Jesus called us to do. But the second thing I would say to that is refusing to do what God calls us to do exempts us from the protection and the power and the providence of God. That's true. In Ephesians 6, you have the spiritual armor that we're all familiar with. Yep. When I lead people to Israel, we always go to Caesarea Philippi and Matthew 16 and Jesus' statement that we're to assault the gates of hell. And then I say to them, the spiritual armor covers your front, but not your back. That's true. If you're going to retreat from the gates of hell, you're on your own. <laughs> it's when you attack the gates of hell that you have the spiritual armor. And I'm not that. trying to be naive here. I'm not that. trying to suggest that if you'll be faithful to God's call to go into this culture, that yes. you'll always be healthy and happy and all yeah. the stuff that we think might go with that. Not at all. Yeah. But what I am saying is your life will be significant for eternal purpose. Hmm. You will have the blessing, the direction, the empowering, the significance, the joy of Jesus. You will have God's best in your life. I love it. If you refuse to be salt and light and go into the culture, you're on your own. And you don't want to be on your own when you've got the God of the universe there to protect and bless and empower yep. you. Yep. You know, I, I, I just love, you know, the, the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He starts out, of course, all authority in heaven That's and right. earth has been given unto me. That's right. doesn't say so. You know, go into your little church, close the doors and be, right. go play. Don't right. play defense, play offense, lovingly play offense. And it's interesting that, that of those 11 that he spoke to, I've got elsewhere in my office here, just a listing of how, how the death of all of those guys mm-hmm. came about. One mm-hmm. of them died of old age. That was John, even though they tried to kill him in a different way, it just didn't work. Yes. Yeah, but crucifixions, beheadings, swords, throwing off—you know—stones. Yeah. You say, "Whoa, that doesn't sound very good." But that's what we're called to do. We keep waiting right. for for this world to be heaven. This is not heaven. You've probably heard the expression for for the Christian, "This is the most hell that we're going to mm-hmm. experience." Right. For the non-Christians, this life is the most heaven they're going to experience, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it, it's just the way it is. And we got to deal with that. We got to, we got to encourage you just like you do through your, your, your many means, yeah. encouraging Christians to not give up, but hang in there and do what God calls you to do today and tomorrow. Yeah. And until he comes again, I love that. Way Absolutely. 
And then know this, the darker the room, the more powerful the light. Yeah. The more obvious the light. And there just is a joy in serving Jesus, even yes. at a price that you can't yes. find any place else. I've gone to Cuba a lot over the years and uh, love being in Cuba. Cuban Christians are New Testament Christians. And a lot is are because they? of what we're discussing. Well, I, I don't know much about them. That's, the that's persecution they face is horrendous. The, the press doesn't report yep. what it's really like to live in the communist nation of Cuba and how yep. horrific it is for everybody down yep. there, but especially with the Christians. So one time, Randy, I was down there and got to participate in a mass baptism. 150 people being baptized. Wow. There were several of us wading out into this shallow lake where this yes. baptism was going to occur. Yeah. Well, in those churches in Cuba, when you're baptized publicly, that's when the government puts you on the list. That's when you get oh, the worst sure. jobs, the worst sure. military assignments, sure. the worst schools, all that. So they do six months of, bapti- of uh, discipleship before people are ready to be baptized. So they had 150 in this one church ready to be baptized. Yep. So ministers like me, pastor types, waded out in the water. Uh, out, oh, I don't know, 20, 30 yards. And then we turn around, massive group over on the shore, probably government informants in there among the others. This man starts walking toward me, carrying this woman in the water. I can only see her shoulder and her head. I thought, well, that's odd. It wasn't deep. Maybe she's afraid of water. Maybe she can't swim, whatever. Hands her to me to be baptized underwater. I just see her head and her shoulder. I baptized her. I handed her back. She turned to the crowd on the shore throwing her arms in the air, shouting, Alleluia, Alleluia, with tears of joy. Her husband picked her up out of the water, and I saw that she had only one leg. Isn't that something? Life in Cuba is difficult. Life with that disability, 10 times more, but life with that disability as a baptized Christian. But if you could have seen the joy in her soul, you would have said, I want that. I love it. Whatever it takes, I want that. Yeah. So if we'll follow Jesus in hard times, the great good news here is this is the most hell you'll see. And the joy in this hell (laughs) outweighs the hell. Uh, Not to mention Romans 8, 18. I don't consider the present sufferings worth comparing to the glory to be revealed. That's good. One final area before we close. Um, I read something you wrote recently. In fact, I I copied it and typed it out or printed it out. Um, You mentioned uh, one of our fellow heroes of the past, a guy named William Wilberforce. I've got a book that he wrote uh, here. I don't know if you've ever seen this, A Practical View of Christianity. And uh, in there, again, he tried, he became a Christian. He was a member of parliament, became a Christian, follower of Christ, wanted to end the slave trade. But the slave trade was making a lot of money for a lot of people. It was, apparently, it was one of the top businesses mm-hmm. in, in, in England at the time. Mm-hmm. And so people say, yeah, maybe the slave trade is not so good, but it's you know putting food on the table. Come on now. But it was the second great awakening happened. And what he mentions in his book here is, he said, the real problem in England is selfishness, living for me, 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 among the rich, the poor, everyone in between. But then the Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, came in America and also in, in England. It, it affected them in a huge way. Hearts began to change. And then he got the votes he needed finally after many, many years of trying to, to make that change. And, and again, you point out that we need to engage. We've already talked about that. Not pull back, but engage. We need to get some Christians need to be in government. They need to no be doubt. on their school boards. They need to get in no Congress. Doubt. They need to, to be a light where, where God plants, plants them. And uh, in in ministry and business, whatever, all the different you know spheres, the the, the places of, of culture, of leadership, and 
and and so we need to be a light to the to the bitter end and uh and like like our buddy William Wilberforce, what a, what a great guy. We need more of people like that. They have the guts to just hang in there. But also, and this just to tie into what our ministry is about, because I've been involved in government and so on, and, and I really believe that government is a lagging indicator of where culture is. Culture Absolutely. is a lagging indicator of the health of the church. Right. And we need the church to get totally engaged, totally involved, pr- and praying. Prayer is so powerful. And then pray that we do have a, a, another great awakening to this country. Can can we say amen to that? Do you agree with that one? No doubt whatsoever. Apps, I'm just shaking my head for those that can't see me right now that are just hearing our words. <laughs> so grateful you're saying all of that. And so grateful for your career in public service as well. I've been saying for years, Randy, that God is calling more Christians into public service and are answering the call. Yeah. Absolutely convinced of that. This sacred secular division is yes. unbiblical and heretical. Yes. yes. William Wilberforce is just one example of God that. using people in ways that others couldn't. He did things that the ministers of the day couldn't because he was in parliament. That's right. As you know, his story when he really had this profound spiritual experience, he wanted to get out of parliament, thought he should should go be a pastor. And his friend, William Penn, who became prime minister, talked him into staying in parliament, said, no, you can do more good here than you could there. And then he went to see John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, who told him the same thing. (laughs) And he was so Right, wasn't he? Yes. He really had two goals. Amen. The one is to abolish slavery. We yeah, know that's that. right. The second was to reform morals and society. Yeah, the, the manners, because he knew the two went it. together. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's and right. What he what he did is such an example for the rest of us. He built a consensus that Clapham sect, as it was called, that yes. worked yes. with him. He was strategic about what he did, oh. about even when he introduced votes and how he went about doing it. That's he so was good. prayerful above Amen. all. He was sacrificial. His health was horrible especially the last several years of his life. In fact, mm. he almost did not live to see the abolition of slavery yes. because of the health struggles that he went through. His yes. wife, his friends, they all did it together. But he is exhibit A, that if you will shine the light in the dark, the dark loses. Yeah. The dark, the light always wins. Amen. As John 1 says, the dark shall not overcome. That's it. right. I and that's it. the privilege we have of shining that light yeah. today. Well, he's a great example to us, but, uh, you know, this is the first you and I have had personal contact, and I would say that uh, you are like William Wilberforce to our society today, and I thank you for what you're doing, my brother, and I wonder if you would close us in prayer. Be delighted to do that. Father God, how grateful I am for this time with Randy. I pray right now, Lord, for those that are hearing us or seeing us, that you will use this conversation to spark in them that kingdom assignment you have for them. That place, Father, where they are to be the city on a hill that cannot be hid, where they are to be that salt and that light that must change what it touches. Father, I pray that they will so submit to your Holy Spirit, so be filled by your Spirit, that they will be empowered by you and led by you and encouraged and and, and ennobled by you, Father, and and emboldened by you, Mm. so that they would do whatever it takes to make the difference you're calling them to make. I pray for that next William Wilberforce, God. I pray for that next woman or man that you're raising up right now because of this conversation to make that difference where you've called them to make it to your glory. Father, we ask you for this. We pray for this. We pray for that spiritual awakening we need so desperately. And may it begin with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, brother. Thank you. This has been great. This has been super. God richly bless you, my brother. Thank you. You as well. God bless you.